This is episode number 178, Understanding the Human Biofield, with Hilary May. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today. The second announcement that I'd like to make is in regard to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive, A Parent's Journey. This is an experience that we've been wanting to put together for a few months by now with the intention of creating a space for other parents to be able to come together and relate as well as understand each and every single one of the journeys that they've been on as well as the lessons and the takeaways that they've learned through the hardship including COVID-19, as well as some of the other circumstances. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Hillary, welcome to the show. Hi, Oleg. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Speaking of biofield, there's a, <laughs> to you, there's a, a tropical rainstorm that's happening right now. <laughs> so it's A lot of energy. Exactly. If we ever lose connection or anything like that, it has nothing to do with anything that we have done. It has everything to do with Mother Nature doing what it's meant to do outside. That's right. Doing her thing. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on this show uh, for a couple reasons. First one is I remember when you and I started to talk, there was this topic that really fascinated me and it's this concept of biofield. And I remember I actually had to go kind of backwards and and research what that even means. And I think in simplest terms, it's just the energy um, that each and every single one of us carries. But I'm I'm hoping that you might be able to kind of give us a brief understanding of what what is a biofield to begin with. Sure. So uh, the simple definition is that it is massless energy that surrounds and permeates every human body and every living thing. Mm -hmm. And to an extent, um, things that we would consider non-living as well, right? Because energy 
is the building block of everything that's around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the human biofield uh, can extend up to six feet generally beyond the physical body, unless there's an anomaly like a pain spike, which can actually extend much further beyond that. Um, And it also permeates the body, meaning that the same energy field that's extending from your body is also touching and holding and moving and powering every single thing in your body, right? Mm. It's why our heart is still beating right now on its own. Mm -hmm. It's why our lungs are still breathing now on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that you mentioned that I know that you and I were going to have a conversation about anyway, but this concept of negative energy, considering that we have negative and positive, why is it that some of us wanting to avoid the negative part? Sure. And if so, how can, is there a way that we can, is there a way that you've learned throughout your own experience to better embrace the negative energy and, and then how do you channel that? And then where do you channel that to? So first off, I love this whole discussion because I think everybody grapples with this, right? Mm-hmm. We've all experienced, you know, what we would call negative energy or positive energy. And what do we do with all of that? Um, but I think it's really important to note that saying negative energy is a shorthand for an experience that we're having. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the energy itself is not negative or positive. It is something negative that has had energy put behind it. Hmm. Right? It's, so the energy is the fuel, right? The negativity is the vehicle, right? So when you start to separate out those two things, you can start to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm in the driver's seat of the energy, right? Mm-hmm. So I get, to, I get to determine where energy is moving and how I'm experiencing energy. The negativity that perhaps belongs to me, because everybody experiences negative, negative self-talk, negative mm-hmm. um, you know, internal states, or whether it belongs to somebody else, recognizing that we're fueling that or someone else is fueling that with energy. And for me, just that perspective shift of when someone comes at me with an experience of negative energy, right? And we, of course, all had that. But I can think of an instance a few days ago when um, a friend came to me and she had a whole bunch of stuff going on and she just let it all loose, right? We're like <laughs> right off the bat in our conversation. I was like, whoa. Um And, you know, it was great for her to process. It wasn't a bad thing, right? But what that was, was her experience powered by a whole lot of energy behind it. Mm. And so what I could do in that moment was say, okay, here's what's going on. And here's the force behind it. Mm -hmm. And if I can separate those two out, even in my own mind, it becomes a lot easier to manage okay, here's sort of the experiences and facts of what's happening. And here's just the charge behind it, mm. right? And that charge is neither positive nor negative. It's just there. Hmm. So just so I understand that the charge always comes in as neutral. The charge is neutral. Energy is neutral. Okay. Yep. And then it's the, it's the connotation. Or yeah, the name exactly. That we give. Or the context, the or the or emotion, right? Maybe we're experiencing a lot of anger, and we're experiencing that anger as a bad thing because we tend to judge anger, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So we're saying like all this, oh, it doesn't feel good. Right. I'm I'm really angry. It doesn't feel good. So there's the anger. And mm-hmm. then there's how much energy we choose to put behind it. Mm. And sometimes that's a very conscious choice. And other times it's really unconscious. And I think we tend to experience other other people's negativity. Um in a, in a very unconscious way, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not making that distinction of like, okay, in this moment, they're putting a lot of charge behind this mm-hmm. <laughs> versus they just have a ton of energy and that just is what it is, right? There's just a lot of anger coming at me and that is what it is. Because mm-hmm. um, in reality, there, there are two different things that fit together really seamlessly that we tend not to separate. Mm. You know, one of the things that I've heard for however long by now, but it's this concept of um, needing to avoid, quote unquote, negative people. Sure. And I've realized that over time that not only, in my opinion, is that something that if it's possible or not, but (laughs) it's very difficult to do so because of what you just mentioned. Each and every single one of us has components that are positive and negative. When each one gets activated, it's very difficult to know. And so I get curious about maybe the journey becomes so much more about learning different skills and tools to help you cope with those different situations rather than trying to eliminate them out of your life completely because I don't know if that's really a real thing. I don't know if that's possible. I don't think it's possible. I've yet to see that. I think that's a, um, I think that's something we've made up right? Mm. You, you can't avoid negativity. Like life is, life is hard and <laughs> dealing with a lot of hard stuff, right? So yeah. it makes sense that the full spectrum of our human experience is important. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a reason why we get angry or sad or, or have to confront suffering in the world or, right. That's all, that's all on the whole spectrum of being human Mm-hmm. Um, and anything else I would call toxic positivity, mm-hmm. right? Saying that you have to sort of put your blinders on. And if that person's negative all the time, cut them out of your life. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for filtering and, uh, guarding your heart and, um, you know, being choosy and careful about, who we surround ourselves with, even just as a form of self-care, mm-hmm. because we want to, you know, we want to be uplifted. We want to surround ourselves with people who are the right fit for us. But to say only surround yourself with positivity is, I think, a denial of our humanness. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's an unrealistic goal, unrealistic yeah. assumption that we make? Totally. Absolutely. And I think it's something that sounds really sexy in the like personal development realm, (laughs) right? Is that wouldn't it be perfect if we could just like cut out all of that negativity, right? Mm -hmm. And we could just be like floating on a lotus (laughs) surrounded (laughs) by only good vibes 24 seven. Like, of course that would be great. Right. And I think our our spiritual selves and our soul selves, like there's an element of that's who we are, right? When we are, when we let all of our 
baggage go and everyone let all of their baggage go and we all healed and actualized like mm-hmm. of course that's what we would be but that's not the human experience mm-hmm. and that's okay it's okay like being angry or being sad is not a bad thing mm-hmm. yeah that took me a while to understand the yeah. the importance of processing all the different emotions as they come in instead of suppressing them because what I've realized over time was that if I chose to suppress them, they actually came back stronger and they came back into other forms and relationships that I didn't even expect to happen. Yeah. And it's going to find a way, Mm -hmm. right? If there, if there's, I I keep going back to anger because it's like such a juicy one to Mm -hmm. (laughs) unpack. But um, you know, if you have anger in your system and have experienced anger and haven't let yourself feel that because you've judged it, or someone else has judged it, and so you stuffed it down, mm-hmm. that is absolutely going to come back in other ways. It's going to manifest in your body, potentially as like pain or injury. It's going to manifest in your emotions. It's going to manifest in your relationships. Like that, that energy, that emotion is going to find a way to be experienced and be expressed. And it, it might be in really crappy ways mm-hmm. <laughs> that don't feel good, that are that are bigger than they needed to be if you just let yourself be with it. Mm -hmm. If you just gave that feeling an audience and said, okay, anger, (laughs) let's hang out instead of you're bad. I don't want to deal with you. Right. How do you process those things on on your own? Like, what do you, is there a routine that you follow? (laughs) What what Um, works? There are lots of different ways. And what I've learned is that, um, you know, create a deep bench when it comes to your tools, do a lot of experimentation with tools because what is earth shattering and amazing and the greatest thing ever for one person is going to do nothing for another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done a lot of experimenting and playing with that. Um, some of the things that I'm currently using and loving, and it changes over time. It's not always the same stuff. Um, I do a lot of EFT at the moment. Really love tapping, emotional freedom technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I meditate twice a day. So if you've ever heard of the uh, Ziva technique, that's the kind of meditation I do. So it's like 10 to 15 minutes in the morning. 10 to 15 minutes in the afternoon. Um, and I do energy work on myself. So I use my own modality on myself, mm. um, which I find really beneficial. Um, this is a, this is kind of a weird one, <laughs> but I'll share it because I think it's, it's the most useful for processing the really heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I go into a wide leg squat like you might in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. Um, so feet wider than my shoulders, right? A, a wide leg squat. And I hold it and keep holding it and keep holding it hmm. until it feels like whatever place I had locked up that emotion cracks open. Interesting. And almost without fail. I, one time I used it and it, it didn't work for me. (laughs) Um, 
almost without fail, that is, that is my access point for anything that's really heavy. Hmm. Why do you think that works? What's the, what's the thinking behind that technique? I think it's, there are a couple things going on. So one, it's incredibly difficult to do physically. <laughs> um, so it, it forces you completely out of your head in the sense that you can't be, you can't be holding in an emotion because mm-hmm. you just don't have the bandwidth. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're taking all of your bandwidth and you're using it to hold this pose. And it, so it, it, right? it sort of takes that grip that you had on whatever it was. And it says, well, now you don't have energy to hold that grip anymore because all you can do is hold your body. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, by robbing it of that grip, you, you naturally release it. You let it go. Um, and I think the other piece of that is that our emotions don't just live in our head. They live in our body. Mm-hmm. And so by acknowledging that I'm carrying whatever this thing is, whatever this emotion is in my body, mm-hmm. not just in my mind, that it is a tangible embodied thing, I'm letting it move, right? So it's almost like I'm giving it a different kind of attention than if I try to intellectualize it mm-hmm. and just process it in my head. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between those two? What's the difference between processing it through your body versus your head? So I think there's, there's a time and a place for both, Mm -hmm. but in, in my opinion, in my experience, um, in what I see in my practice, your mind can only take you so far with your emotions because Mm -hmm. your emotions live in your body and it's connected and you can't, no matter how much you want to process in your head and forget about your body, (laughs) That's you're you're ultimately always going to have some of that moving through your body, through your biofield, right? Because your biofield is that connection point between everything. So mm-hmm. it's still going to be there, even if you process it in a way that feels complete intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think processing in an embodied way and processing in your mind allows for a very complete process, mm-hmm. right? Versus leaving it in one place or the other and only kind of halfway dealing with it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I want to jump back to something that you mentioned earlier, and that is this concept of eliminating and learning how to cope with some of the things. My experience has been this. For however many years leading up to today, there were certain things that I felt that I needed to quote unquote eliminate. And I just, I just really didn't even understand these concepts. For example, anxiety, right? What I've learned over time is that I don't believe it's possible to eliminate it Mm. completely. I think the name of the game becomes how do I find the tools and the skills to help me cope with that particular concept moving forward? Because it's, it's just, it's a natural part of what it, it means to be human. And so it's always going to be there. It may evolve into other shapes and forms, but it's always going to be there at the kind of at the root principle. So in your opinion, why do you think some of us aspire to eliminate some of these things rather than focus on embracing them as elements of our journey and something that is always going to be there 
And therefore, it is our responsibility to find tools and skills and whatever else to help us deal with them on a daily basis. Sure. Well, I think there are a few different reasons, especially in our culture. Um, I think we're told to eliminate rather than accept. Right. That's a really broad cultural statement as well. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that applies to so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's kind of a culture thing for us is that we would rather, you know, just think about, um, you know, something like diet culture. Right. We're not we're taught to eliminate something on our body, not Mm -hmm. accept it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the that's the whole idea is to be at odds with it and get rid of it rather than make friends with it mm. because there's some there's always something wrong with you mm-hmm. right and I think that that is what it sort of all boils down to is that if you accept it it means there's nothing wrong with you hmm. right there's nothing that you have to fix there's nothing there's nothing fundamentally flawed about you as a human being, right? Mm -hmm. You're just human and everything about that is okay. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not the message we're given though, right? Even as a tiny child, we're told there are things that can be wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And if there's something wrong, you should eliminate it. You should fix it. Right. And so we kind of grow up with that, that idea of like, well, if I'm anxious, I should take a pill for it. Mm. And that pill will eliminate it. Right. When in reality, all it does is mask that. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, again, like not to judge anyone who's on medication for something, right. There's right. definitely a time and a place for that. But culturally, we're not taught any alternative to that, right? That's the, there's a problem, you fix it. And you Mm -hmm. continue to perceive it as a problem that needs to be fixed versus this is a reality and there are a lot of ways to approach it. Mm -hmm. And some of the other things that we're taught, there's so much stigma behind them. I mean, even the concept of meditation, some of these alternative practices when in reality, just like you said earlier, it may work for one, but it may not work for the other. Sure. But I think presenting it as a viable option to someone or something to try that may help with X, Y, and Z only helps. And so with that said, why do you think there is stigma behind some of the some mm-hmm. of these alternative practices or what are viewed as alternative practices? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is cultural. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is, um, you know, not not to get too deep into that conversation of like who holds the purse strings, but like <laughs> there are a lot of people who can profit off mm-hmm. of us feeling really insecure, mm-hmm. right? Feeling judged about mm-hmm. something, right? That's a that is an incredibly motivating sales tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's a very ethical one, but it's a very it's a very effective one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been, I mean, we've been shamed into buying things and doing things for centuries now. And so I think that's part of it. Um, I also think part of it is we're, we're not taught or encouraged to experiment 
and fail. Like there are, for example, a ton of different methods of meditating, right? So when you say meditation, that is a huge term for a whole bunch of different techniques and philosophies and uh, one of which might work wonderfully for someone, but they've only been exposed to that broad idea of meditating where it's a guy on a cushion in Tibet, yeah. right? And they're like, well, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> right? But there are 85 other different versions yeah. and we're not really encouraged to explore that. Um, and so it actually makes me think of, I, I was homeschooled growing up. Um, so there was a lot of encouragement to explore and, and play with ideas and ask, ask the uncomfortable questions. And, uh, and I remember going away to college and we got an assignment to write a paper and we could pick, you know, anything we wanted to write about within the scope of the, the assignment. And I was like, okay, well, I'm really curious about these four things. And so I was talking with some of my classmates and I was trying to narrow it down. And they were like, well, we're just going to pick off the list. Like, just pick off the list. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You're, but like, are you curious about any of those things? Do any of those things interest you? And they were like, who cares? We're just going to pick off the list. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment in that conversation where I was like, that's what we're told. Just pick off the list. Don't think about it. Don't experiment. Don't explore. Don't follow your curiosity. Right? And so I think that's often where we're at when it comes to dealing with something like anxiety. It's like you've you've seen two different ways to deal with anxiety. So just pick off that list. Mm. When did you first notice that some of the world around you was based on the insecurities that you might have? That's a great question. Um, I I think it's probably when I saw some advertising that made me feel bad. Um, and there was a, a movie that we watched over and over in my household. And uh, it was recorded from the television. So it had the commercials recorded into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> And so we watched some of the same commercials over and over and over again. And uh, there was one in particular for Sears that was their slogan at the time was come see the softer side of Sears, right? Mm -hmm. To appeal to women specifically. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember thinking to myself, like, that's weird because I love going to Sears with my mom and like, looking at the rider lawnmowers and stuff, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't need them to soften Sears for me to think it's cool, right? And I, you know, and I, I'm not sure my thinking went much past that, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a, a moment in that as like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old when I was like, they, they want me to feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And they want me to think a certain way. And they're trying to create that in me. Right. And I think from there, eventually, I came to a, a much more conscious realization of, you know, oh, they're preying on my insecurity. Mm. Right. 
Um, Isn't that kind of interesting how certain plans, certain aspects of marketing can be (laughs) so brilliantly designed where it can literally put you in a space where you don't have to make a single decision besides the purchase, (laughs) besides the swiping of the card. Like everything gets built around the story. I mean, stories in general, I think are fascinating because Mm. at least in my opinion, that's what kind of, that's what majority of the world is. It's yeah. all based on stories, yeah. different perspectives and different narratives. And so if you look at anything, at least in my opinion, it's all, it all revolves around the story. It like does. what is the story that I want to tell you? What's the story that you're going to create in your head based on that story to make it believable and something that you can step into and kind of be your own character within yeah. that little adventure? Well, and I think the more masterful the story. Mm-hmm the more predictable the action or the outcome, mm-hmm. right? And so when you have people who have figured out how to really masterfully tell stories for mm-hmm. better or for worse, they're also going to be really masterful motivators. Yeah. Why sure. does that work like that? Well, I think for a couple reasons, one, it engages our emotions mm. and whether we like to believe it or not, Buying and deciding is much more emotional than I think any of us care to admit. Hmm. <laughs> um, I would so agree I think, with that. yeah, right. So I think there's that element. Um, I also think that we are there. There's something really uh, deep and old in us where we have learned from stories since we first communicated mm-hmm. right? that is it is such a such an ancient way to to communicate an idea or a concept mm-hmm. that you know we've been communicating via story forever mm-hmm. right literally since cavemen mm-hmm. right they drew stories on the walls mm-hmm. and so i think there's also there's something that is beyond our consciousness in the telling of a story because it taps into that really, really old way of receiving knowledge, whether Mm. it's, whether it benefits us or not, right. That receptor, that way of receiving is a well-trod path in humanity. That's really interesting. I could totally agree with that because I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about even this concept of campfires, how that used to be a thing. And literally that whole experience was about telling stories, storytelling. Now it's no, now it's not much of a thing, at least in my life, because I think certain aspects of technology have really taken over that experience Mm. and have evolved it. So now the storytelling becomes through form of a text message or an email or a phone call or a Skype call or something like this. So there's a lot that I think has happened since those campfire days, but I do agree with you that at the end of the day, underneath everything, it's that story. Right. And that's something that carries for generations. Totally. Totally. Whether it's in the form of a Facebook post or something that's actually told around a campfire where yeah. that is a huge, a huge way that humanity communicates with each other. Mm-hmm. And I also think that's one of the things that oftentimes maybe doesn't get the attention that it needs. But 
I believe everything starts with a story and more so a story within you. So before I could even, before I have a particular goal or once I have a particular goal, the story that gets formed around it, the first question of, can you do it or can you not? You know, is it possible or is it impossible? <laughs> what I realized was over time, there were so many situations where I gave myself 110 reasons for why it wasn't possible yeah. before giving myself one for why I thought it could be possible. Yeah. And it got me curious as far as why is that the thought process? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's the thought process for anyone by any means, but why is that the thought process that some of us experience where sure. we'll give ourselves every possible reason in the book for why it's not going to work out. And mind you this, we haven't even tried the thing. <laughs> yeah. So we, we don't even no know idea. what it takes. We're basing that on nothing. Exactly. Exactly. So I get yeah. curious, like, why yeah. does that work? Why do, you, why do you think that is? Why do you think we, we, not all of us, but some of us, give us all the reasons for why it can't work sure. prior to giving one for why it can? Is that something that's just ingrained within us or... The society teaches us, or is there something else that's completely different? So I see that as kind of twofold. One is usually those things that we tell stories to ourselves about, right? And give ourselves those million reasons why not to do something. Those are usually things outside our comfort zone, Mm. right? You're usually not telling yourself a million reasons why you shouldn't make a sandwich. Right. You're usually telling yourself (laughs) a million reasons why you shouldn't you know, pitch a book deal. Yeah. Right. That's the, it's the scary thing, not the mundane thing that you're a really good example. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never thought about uh, it that way. I don't ever right? question that the process no. of making a sandwich. No, exactly. <laughs> you're not, you're not trying to talk yourself out of that. <laughs> um, and so the, I think the logical conclusion from that is that, you know, our, our ego mind, its entire job is to keep us alive, mm. right? And change something new, something outside our comfort zone can sort of all boil down to this is new or different, therefore it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so we're going we're gonna to throw up every possible excuse so that you could possibly not do that thing and stay safe. Yeah. Right. Stay alive. Right. Because that part of our system is perceiving everything as like a lion attack. A threat. Exactly. So there's that piece of it, right? That very human piece of it. And then I actually think there's an energy aspect to that of you can have stories and limitations that are actually built into your energy field. Um, so when I work, they kind of look like, um, like structures made of light beams Mm -hmm. or laser beams, and they are created throughout your entire life. And sometimes in your lineage or past life, if that's something that you believe in, Mm -hmm. um, and those stories can, be a structure that holds you in a certain place. So for example, um, I, I wrote a blog post about this, so it's on my website, but there was this experience I had, uh, when I was out to lunch with my mom and my grandma 
And my grandma was telling a story about how when she went to her friend's house with her parents, uh, she really wanted more green beans at dinner Mm -hmm. because the green beans were fresh and they were really, really good. And she wanted a second helping. And her mom said to her, never ask for more. And that statement, never ask for more, has sort of rippled through my family. And I see and saw how just that one phrase uttered at that one lunch Mm -hmm. created a structure that was then passed from from daughter to daughter, Mm -hmm. right? And that created a whole set of behaviors or non-behaviors and beliefs around never asking for more. Mm. And that's something that until relatively recently lived in my energy field Mm -hmm. and lived in all the energy fields of the women before me. And not because it was our fault, right? But because someone planted that at some point and it got, it got passed along. And so I think that can play a huge role too, where as like you pitching a book deal for one person might not, no, might not feel like a big deal. They yeah. might not talk themselves out of it, right? That might be really easy. And for somebody else, it might take them five years, mm-hmm. right? To move through their resistance around that, their, their limiting beliefs around that might be, feel like a massive hurdle. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's because we all are sort of tuned differently internally in our energy field and we're carrying different, different stories with us, different structures in our field that influence how easily we can step into a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Do we all have different, uh, I don't even know how to phrase this, like layers of perseverance and understanding and some of these things. And I, I don't even know if you're understanding the question and if you're not just <laughs> yeah. help me elaborate, but I get you know, it. <laughs> in a case where like you and I might have experienced the same thing, what oftentimes I get curious about is why does one individual take five years to process and understand it and step into it? And another one could take a week. Sure. And then like, do we, do we have the same kind of equal playing field? When it comes to some of these subjects or are some more elevated than others? Um, I think that I think a couple things play into that. One is tools, Mm -hmm. right? For sure. How many tools do you have to help you move through something? Mm -hmm. Right. If you have no tools, that might be really, really challenging. Or if you have the wrong tools, that might be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, So tools, resources, right? Do you, because, Moving through something like that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of energy? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. <laughs> right? So that definitely plays into it. Um, but I, I don't think that some people are naturally better at moving through stuff than other people. Because mm-hmm. I think um, you put one person you take two people and you put them in the same situation, they're going to move through it differently, Mm -hmm. right? One might move through it really quickly and one really slowly. 
you take those same people and you put them in a different environment with a different situation. And the slow one might go really fast and the fast one might go really slow, right? In other words, we all have our own stuff that is easy for us or challenging for us. And that's going to be different from person to person. Um, And I think what often puts someone at an advantage in situations like that is how conditioned their mindset is. So is their own head going to get in the way Mm -hmm. or is their head going to support them? Right. So have they trained themselves to think themselves through it? Mm-hmm. Right. Or have they not been able to do that? And sometimes that happens really naturally. Like um, I think you see this in, um, you know, kids who have not had any resources growing up. Right. They've had really, really limited resources growing up. And yet they go on to become like a, a megastar right? An, an incredible athlete or something like that, right? They, whether it was intentional or not, developed an incredible mindset, mm-hmm. right? And that's what, they didn't do it because somebody handed them $20,000 and said, go make something of yourself, right? They did it because they developed a mindset that allowed them to move through barriers. Um, and I think that's, you can cultivate that. It can happen because of your external circumstances. Um, But I think everybody can get that if they want it. Yeah. I think adversity is such a beautiful thing when it comes Mm. to that topic, because I mean, you see it so many, so many times where someone out of X, Y, and Z circumstances becomes to, comes into a position where they've um, turned those things around and, the beauty of it, at least in my opinion, is that we all have the choice to choose which path that we have within that adversity and the different things that we're there to learn and how we approach it as far as, I mean, for me, one of the more recent realizations has been approaching adversity through the lens of what am I here to learn and what is this here to teach me? Yeah, I think that makes the process a lot more enjoyable and also human. And know that adversity is truly, at least in my opinion, I don't think it's there to kind of stop or impede you from whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. No. In fact, I think it's there to realign you maybe and reaffirm you that, hey, is this what you really wanted at the end of the day? Yeah, absolutely. To make you dig a little deeper and think differently about something for sure. And I think that a lot of people kind of have the mindset of, you know, the world is against me, right? Why am Mm -hmm. I not catching a break? Why isn't something coming easily for me? And my response to that, because I've had people, I've had clients ask that flat out, right? And my response to that is always, there's nothing against you, right? Everything that's happening right now is for you. If -hmm. you choose to let that be the case, Right, Mm -hmm. everything is happening in your favor, Mm -hmm. right? In service of you and your, and it always has been, and it always has been, it Mm -hmm. always has been. And at any point, you can you can shift your perspective on that. So just because you didn't start out with that perspective, right? If you're moving through a challenge and you didn't start out with that perspective, it doesn't mean you can't shift right now. Yeah, 
into a different one and say, okay, I'm going to choose to see everything that's occurring and everything that has occurred as in my favor, Mm -hmm. as doing me a service. And I'm going to take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such an important reframe looking at life from the lens of it's happening for me, not to me. Yeah, Um, totally. (laughs) And understanding that all these different challenges and circumstances are really there to serve you. They're really there to help you better understand yourself, better understand your process better understand your vision if there is one and what Um, you have to contribute. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Hillary, what's, what's the best way that people can connect with you? Um, Do you have a website, any social media outlets that people can get in touch with you and learn more about your work and your background? It's hillarymay.com, H-I-L-A-R-I-E-M-A-E.com. And it's the same handle on Instagram and that's really the only two places I hang out. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Take yeah. Home. I don't do a lot of social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's, I, I remember it took me a while to understand this concept of not, <laughs> not needing to be on every single one of the platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Because every single one of them, I think still has its own approach and its own method Absolutely. for communicating with people. And I think far too often, and I think it is a societal conditioning that I fell into and that's, you know, needing to be on all when in reality, it's like, yes, it's good to diversify, but if I'm not spending active, if I'm not actively spending time on all of them equally. Yeah. And doing them the well. What's yes. That? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, for me, it's a big energy filter thing, right? That's how I guard my energy field mm-hmm. is that I sort of limit those social media channels mm-hmm. well we'll make sure to include all the different links at the end of the show that cool. people can get connected with you and um i appreciate you for being a part of this and thank you so choosing much to share the space with us yeah such an honor thank you Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, We thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.